Welcome to the Zed Media Podcast, where we talk business, entrepreneurship, and everything it takes to be successful. Great intro, great intro, as always. Actually, last time I gave the intro. Yeah. Yeah, so back at it again. Last episode, we were talking about struggles or challenges that businesses have. And I guess we have a couple of questions that we've laid out today to finish off the rest. So take it away. So let's start off with positioning a business in the market, mm-hmm. right? In terms of branding and product, where's the start? Yeah, that's actually a very, very tough question. It seems easy on paper. You know, when you're starting uh, any sort of business, you're like, well, I want to be, you know, a product that's readily available for everyone. Or no, I want to be a product that's going to be available to only some exclusive individuals. And then you start to deep dive. And I'm going to give you some examples of our jewelry company and how that has impacted where we are today. So not only do you have to position yourself in what you think people are going to buy and what your branding should represent, but then also you have to take into account pricing. And pricing is a very sensitive topic in the sense that, you know, you have to test them out to see what kind of vibes with your niche and whatever your business is. Are you competitive enough or do you care to be competitive in pricing or not? You know, that really just comes down to your positioning. So... Going into a real-life example, I think about four years ago, or five years ago probably, uh, we're just touching, closing in on seven years at Zed Jewels, right? And uh, I trained like at least like a year prior to that, but officially seven years. So more than half, a half of our journey, it was done basically testing, testing the market, trying to see where the products are. When I first started, you know, I tested with silver products, silver name necklaces, I wanted to sell a lot, and I wanted to sell to everyone. And, and I'll tell you why I felt that was a mistake at that time. I didn't know it, but I do know now. So the name necklaces were being priced at around 100 to $200 for sterling silver, right, depending on what you're doing with them. So $100 being relatively affordable on the custom jewelry side. Remember, these are all handmade and being produced here in Canada, you know, one-on-one pieces. And then, you know, you'd go online and check that there were people making them for $50 or $60 or something like that. And so to compete with that market to be the cheapest and to sell the most to more more people than less was a tough one. I couldn't win. I couldn't win on the pricing and I couldn't win, uh, you know, on the higher end side of things because... What I realized is when I was trying to price myself at the very bottom, mm-hmm. I couldn't compete. Oh, man. Uh, and that the reason was that there was too many producers that were just producing at such a mass scale, a generic product, that they could price, you know, they were probably making like maybe 10 bucks or something, you know, on, on a product. And so that wasn't reasonable. So I started to slowly increase the price to where I could get it in terms of, so where I could get the profit to come to the company, but at the same time have a majority of the clients buy. Mm-hmm. So the people that are maybe on the lower spectrum of you know price sensitivity, meaning they want to buy things that are cheaper, and then in the mid-range. I wasn't even targeting people that wanted to be able to afford like the higher, more expensive items. And so I did that. Now in doing so, I did end up increasing my profit margin and I did increase my sales, but I faced the same issue. Where, you know, in the middle ground, I wasn't cheap enough for the cheap people, 
per se, mm -hmm. and I wasn't expensive enough for the people that wanted luxury. You know, they wanted better servicing, a higher quality, better materials. So I got squeezed in the middle. And that's where I learned a very tough lesson that, you know, it took me a couple of years to understand that I think personally that you need to position yourself at, at the very bottom, the cheap of the cheap, and focus on volume, or you position yourself at the higher range but offer better quality materials, better service, uh, anything that differentiates your business from the cheaper ones because there's always going to be this type of individual that is going to be able to afford it. So now how does that translate into Zedrul's journey? You know, a company that basically started off selling name necklaces, basically, that were, you know, a hundred bucks or around that range. I was even, you know, going to barber shops at that time and I would take my little kit of silver and I would display it for the barbers that I was, you know, getting my hair cut by. And so I would stand there in a mirror. I remember vividly that I would put on chains on these guys and I was making like maybe 10, 20 bucks. Actually, I was probably losing money by the time I spent gas and everything to get there. And now we're in a position where 90% of what we do is gold and diamonds. And generally because we're focusing on a higher ticket item, engagement rings, custom engagement rings, that's our bread and butter, that the average sale order is probably around seven to $12,000 depending on average. There's always going to be some that are lower and some that are much higher. And what I realized from that is that, you know, we were able to position ourselves in the higher end of the market, but still offer a very high quality product. And because the margins in this luxury market are so high, like on the retail side, that we're basically smoking all the prices that are available. Local retailers, online retailers, all of them are getting destroyed. And there's a complication to the story that we could probably get into that, you know, you have to have enough equipment and craftsmen and a lot of heavy investment to bring that price down. But at the end of the day, it ended up being a much better brand positioning for us because we don't need to handle volumes. We don't need to handle tens of thousands of clients. We need to handle much less and we can offer that high-end service to those individuals that we're looking at. So there's no right or wrong way, but I definitely feel like depending on your situation and you know, my situation when I started the company was not of like heavy influence in sense that you know, I didn't have a ton of cash. Jewelry business requires a couple of million dollars to get going. Like, I mean, to even fill up this space here, I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see our office. Like, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable to have $3 million to $5 million worth of jewelry. And then on top of that, the overhead, the staff, the craftsmen, and if you're, you know, manufacturing, machinery, etc. And so I didn't have that, nor were my parents jewelers, so it wasn't handed down to me per se either. And so it was a different journey. And in that particular journey, it definitely worked out better that we were able to focus on the higher end items than focusing on a volume play, which would have been like, you know, the regular jewelers buying and selling at a high volume rate, basically. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's my little thing on brand positioning and, and pricing, I would say. Yeah, it's interesting to take that in because I also feel that there's no room for the middle guy because you kind of explained your experience being mm -hmm. squeezed. Yeah. And I feel like people jump in, they go th through that trial and error. Yeah. 
and they feel what you felt mm -hmm. and then either they fall off or they reposition themselves like you did. Yeah. Right. Or they just stay the same. <laughs> or they stay the same. Yeah. So I also agree with that. I don't think there's room for the middle. Yeah. Well, that's also my personal opinion mm -hmm. because either you do something great. Yeah. Or you just don't do it at all. In exactly. my opinion. Yeah. So it's like either you're at the bottom of the market. No, I shouldn't say bottom. It's not it's the not, bottom. It's, it's, it's just a different position. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you position yourself. You position yourself there in the market. So you know you're doing volume. Or like we talk about, why sell a million items when you can sell 10? Yeah, literally, right? <laughs> I guess uh, real estate agents are probably <laughs> loving this right now, right? And the thing is, it's a psychological prayer because when you're in the business and you're working, you just don't know where the right direction is. In a world that's full of information, you just don't know which one is the right route. I mean, just put in chat GPT like 10 different business plans or 10 different branding strategies or 50. You get so many different answers and you're like, well, which one should I focus on? And it's obviously specific to every business and whatnot, but these are general things that make sense, you know. And going back to like why people don't change, I think, in between is like because it's a scary thought, you know, to change something that's working. I mean, to cut your margin, increase your margins, you know, to price your items more or less, you know, it becomes quite a struggle. I struggled with it because I was like, you know, when I first started out, I was like, well, you know, I'm selling name necklaces, really, I didn't think people are going to buy engagement rings, you know, like seven years ago, and had no clue. It took me, I think, a year and a half to sell my first engagement ring. And that was number one. And I was like, I was so happy, you know, I was really impressed by my year and a half work. I was like, wow, I could really sell one ring. And I had such low expectations. And then the following year, you know, I sold not that many more, like it was six. And then now we're dealing with hundreds of clients at a time, which is just mind boggling to me that to have that. I mean, I used to wish that I had like one or two clients show up every day or if I could just talk to one or two people. That was my goal. I'm like, if wow. I talk to one or two people, you know, in terms of a jewelry setting where I could sell them something, I'd be like, I'd be completely happy. Come to today, you know, some days we've had eight to 10 meetings per day. Yeah. And now these are not just, you know, at that time it was silver chains and necklaces, a couple of hundred dollars. It's not about the pricing. It's just, you know, the type of clientele that we end up dealing with, especially with engagement rings because they are priced higher, even though that we make everything, right? Like we mm -hmm. don't never turn away an order. Like we have chains that are $50 on silver, right? You can, you can literally get those are really thin chains that are like $40, $30, right? But it's just crazy to me that we'd have like, you know, anywhere between eight and 10 meetings that are all engagement ring, like average budget being around that, you know, that we, what you mentioned before, it's something that I can't even take comprehend, even at this stage. So it really hasn't sunk in yet? I don't know. I think I, I don't let things sink in. I'm like, okay, well, we got here now. And, you know, because numbers are quite important. I'm like, what, how, what do we do to get a 2x from here? Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'll probably have the same conversation where I'll be like, oh, I never thought, you know, like, and then it'll just keep going. I think it has sunk in in a way. It's nice to see that you know, such a long journey has come so far. And I think we're just scratching the surface, especially being a jewelry company that, you know, didn't have like so much funding, like the average person or a heritage in jewelry, but we're definitely leaving a mark, especially, you know, due to our community and our clients, super shout out to them that do support us. 
and uh, we're giving everyone a fight for their money. <laughs> yeah. uh, people, you know, I know everyone's watching and a lot of jewelers do reach out. So it's interesting to see that the small guys have uh, sort of like leveled up and are going toe to toe with the big boys, right? Yeah, I, I feel like it's about time, right? Yeah. There's been time put into this, strategizing, implementing those strategies. Yeah. You know, growth. Like you said, you've adjusted here and there as well. So yeah, it's well-deserved. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you can probably attest to it, like the changes that we made. You remember 2021, that was basically when COVID was ending. Yeah, COVID ended like April of 2020. We had a lockdown here, right? And so we started building out this unit here and it took us, it was supposed to take three weeks, took two months, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then on top of that, we were, you know, in a go, go, go mode because we're scaling, but at the same time we're implementing technology and we're training and like you remember that system that we made i i was just gonna talk i yeah, yeah iddmcps <laughs> i'm laughing because it's such a shitty acronym <laughs> what was it it was like yeah invoice deposit design yeah and then like some manufacturing yeah, some stuff manufacturing like stuff. you know finishing diamonds <laughs> like we spent a long time on we spent a month on that I think probably. We wrote documents, man. We wrote entire documents because we were sure this is going to be the way that everything's <laughs> going to be run and everyone's going to be tracked in this way in our system. Literally like six weeks in, I'm like, bro, I, I don't think it's working. I don't, <laughs> it's not making sense. Osama kept writing ID. He's like, yo, what is it again? I'm like, bro, <laughs> we spent nights at the office writing this down because it's so much info, right? Yeah. So we'd kind of like, we know what it is, but yeah. like just writing down the acronym was like, oh God. Literally. And I, it was interesting on? because, uh, you know, I found a better solution, which is basically a tech-based solution that kind of resolved that. So I'm kind of happy we left it, but it was such a waste of time. But, well, was it a waste of time? I, I don't, think, I don't so. think so either. Seriously, on a serious note, I don't think so. Why, do, why didn't you not think that it I, was? Because I feel like it gave us a starting point and clarity to what we needed. Yeah. Without that acronym... We wouldn't be able to, yeah. even though we wouldn't, we would still streamline all the processes, yeah. but it gave us more clarity into what each process needed. Yeah. And based off of what each process needed, we were able to come up with, okay, in Other this stage, ideas, yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. For example, that led into update emails for clients. Yeah. For each of the stages. And things of that nature. Et cetera. So I feel like, yeah, it, it took a, a lot of our one. time. It, it was like a stepping stone, I would yeah. feel. Yeah. And... I enjoyed it. Honestly, I feel like the building out process is always yeah. fun. Obviously, we're on the implementing side as well, but building something yeah. from scratch, then scratching it's it off. It's creative. And then, you yeah. know, like people talk about creativity, let's say vlogging or painting, designing. But I think building systems, hear me out now. I think building systems or coming up with ideas within a business is quite creative. It's a different creative outlook. Because like when we were building this IDD, I can't even say the name, right? IDDMCPS. Uh, yeah, you still remember. I know you're still a little sour, but you're like, well, how come we didn't keep it? <laughs> we <laughs> you, do we loved it. it. We have a, we we have a tech it. version And I came of out, I'm like, you know what? We're scrapping it. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, right. oh, you better have a solution for this. I'm like, what are we going to do instead? It's like, yeah. don't worry, I got you. I got, a, I got a better solution. And then I think you'd agree the solution is 10x. So much right? better. Right. I would say it's still being creative. Uh, in my mind, I feel like once you have enough knowledge, it's like building this sort of machine and you got to be creative in different ways in business. I mean, marketing is all creativity, I feel. Marketing constantly changes. 
And, you know, we could even go into this topic of sales and how I feel that's creative as well, right? Interconnecting, and that's something that's like also like an art form on its own. Maybe we'll get into that in another full podcast because that, I think, requires a whole segment. That's an entire uh, that's podcast all, on its own. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's definitely an art form, you know? And so that's why I feel like, you know, it being coming up with ideas and doing different things is, is a creative outlook. Yeah, I feel like... Art is looked at, like like you just mentioned, painting, like very creative work like that. But building businesses, yeah. strategizing, that's all creative work. I as was well. hoping you'd go into that hippie outlook because, you know, um, art is love and art, love listen, is art. Art, art and... can't be contained, okay? <laughs> everything is art. Yeah. So once again, coming back to my point, everything is art. So business is art, you know, building systems is art. Yeah. Um, we used to brainstorm. If you remember, we used to just pull out papers like, okay, yeah. this is what we need to do. And we'll, like, we'll write it all, yeah. brainstorm it. What you're saying is we're building the Picasso here. Yeah. Red jewels, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then, then we would That's how transfer, we get to our day. <laughs> then, then we would transfer that into a document. And yeah. then Osama would read the document, and I would read the document. Osama would read the document, I would read them. Okay, what do, and then we'd be like, okay, what do we need to change here? We're painters at work. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, let's just say yeah. that. I'm just painting. But I love it. Yeah. I love the creative process. I it it translates into anything and everything I do. Yeah. I think you for you too as well, right? Like we all have hobbies, creative outlooks, and yeah. I feel this is one of them. So getting back to the topic because we went on a tangent, what do we have next on the list? All right, so we were talking about how to basically position ourselves in the market. But how do you deal with competition? Standing out in a crowded market what would you say is very important? What are some of the steps that people need to pay attention to before just jumping in and, you know, either starting a business or if they already have an existing business, where is their starting point? Yeah, so competition is another tough one. I think every aspect in business is a little bit tough when you get deep into it. So I guess in my own example, you always have to look into what the competition is online, in person. Like, what are what are the services and products people are providing? What are they pricing it at, right? And how is their branding? So this is all that's going to be in that realm of competition, right? Because you'll have to be unique in your branding, unique in your price points, unique in your product or service. Something has to give you the edge, right? And that edge is not clear right away. For example, even if it's staring you right in the face. So in my own example, when I started Zajules, the reason why I felt that I wasn't going to sell diamonds or gold was because I was like, I had this inherent thought that you had to be a generational jeweler or someone with a lot of money for individuals to purchase from you. That's what I thought. That's how the industry is. What I was missing is the fact that I was already somewhat on social media. Yeah, seven years ago, I was on social media. I wasn't as big at that time in terms of the YouTube following or Sana's following or whatnot. But still, I was like kind of hesitant. I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, uh, whatever. I hate the term influencer, but something like that, you know? And so I didn't realize until later on when I started showing people on my social media that I connected the dots that people are willing to buy much more expensive, even higher quality goods for me than what I originally thought. 
So an example of that was like, well, I was selling silver originally, but when I started promoting and talking about silver, people are like, well, that's great, but can I buy gold from you? I'm like, yeah, damn it, you wanna buy, you wanna buy gold chains from me? And so I was like, okay, I started looking into that product line. And then from there, they're like, well, you know, this pendant's nice, but can you ice it out for me? I'm like, you want me to put diamonds in there? And I was like, every step of the way, I was caught off guard and eventually, I, I mean, learned that it wasn't that I needed to have a heritage or a lot of money. I had to use what I had, which was, was social media for me. And so from there, uh, you know, if not daily, every other day I was on there. At that time, I was grinding and polishing and doing things uh, with the jewelry myself. And so I would show that. And, you know, the power of social media is this, that, you know, what they talk about networking, you know, in person, obviously that's the golden route, you know, to meet people and you just don't know where that conversation will go. But social media provides you something where people are constantly watching you without having to have that obligation of meeting with you. Does that make sense? Because it takes energy to meet with someone. Mm-hmm. You, you generally have to be you know, either friends or offer one another something that we can meet on a middle ground. Otherwise, why would you just go meet a random person? Mm-hmm. But on social media, you have all these individuals that know you, but you don't really know them or people that even are in your circle that you might not really talk to, but they follow you. And now you're posting these stories or videos and showing them what you're doing and how you're doing it inherently builds trust over time. And I'm a, a solid proof of that with someone having no background in jewelry. I mean, I have a background in biology and nutrition and pharmaceuticals to a certain degree, but it wasn't in jewelry and in business, I guess, different projects, but it wasn't jewelry at all. And so I was able to build a reputation of trust of quality, you know, of uh, of a unique branding position for my clients that trusted me. And that's how the company started to grow. And that's how it continues to grow. And then over time, you know, the referrals come in and, you know, it just it, like right now at this point, if we didn't even have social media, it'd be completely fine, you know. But like, so it was a hard lesson to kind of understand and learn. It was staring me right in the face, you would say. But at the psychological level, until you come to terms with your, that understanding, you won't be able to push that idea further. I was able to double down once I understood it. I connected the dots at the social media, the company, building that trust between those two means was the way for me to go because that's what I had. So that was my competitive edge. And so I think it's going to be different for everyone else. But here's an easy one. Maybe it's easy for us, but like maybe tougher for others. Get on Insta stories and get on TikTok, get on YouTube shorts, get on, make a vlog. I don't know. If you don't want to do that, maybe make a podcast. Like, heck, if I didn't have all these other social feeds, I would maybe had made a podcast talking just about diamonds and jewelry. You know, cultivate a community in in what you're doing. But if you just want to be, you know, take the simplest route, let's say, you know, you have a restaurant, that's perfect. You guys making the food, show how clean your place is. Show how fresh your food is. Daily talk about it. Go on lives, you know. Show them like that you're there and why they should come to you. Really emphasize your personality and your brand. And I realize with social media, people need a bigger connection nowadays to spend their money than just being there as a brick and mortar. It's not like the early 1900s where you just walk by a store and that's all you can see. 
So you really got to build that relationship. And I think social media helps you do that. Or you might be able to do that in your personal relationship. The issue with the personal relationships and networking is that it's not scalable. You can scale to a certain degree. And now look, if you're closing a million dollar contracts, like it makes sense, you might only need a couple, right? But if you're selling, let's say, a $50 product where your gross margin might be like maybe 50% or 25%, you need to sell a lot of items to a lot of people. So you have to have a strategy that scales. So, yeah, that's my whole thing on competition. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I feel like people need a competitive edge in no matter what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they have to be fresh with it. But I feel also people are afraid. Uh, I have the saying that I say to myself, and I'll share it. It's in order to be where you're not today, you have to do things that you're not doing today. Mm-hmm. So in terms of strategizing to put yourself in a better position to stand out, you, like you mentioned, if you're not already making content, make the content, yeah. right? Until you try something that you're not already doing, you yeah. will not know what result it could bring you. That's how I kind of look at things. Yeah. Like you said, explore different avenues. You talked about uh, a restaurant, show how fresh your food is. I mean, you, you have good right. insight on restaurants. I mean, you manage a few as well and you have built out some menus and things in the yeah. past life, right? Exactly. So where do you think, rest? because a lot of restaurants suffer, you know, like 90% is that fail, I guess, within three years. Is that the stats? Approximately, Something yes. like that. Why do you think they fail? My insight is bad marketing and a lot of overhead. That's what I ended up, I, I end up figuring out that that's why they fail and they're not able to handle teams in, in a good way. Bad marketing is definitely one of them. Overhead is a big one. Yeah. Overhead becomes an issue when you're not innovating. And obviously with restaurant, you want your food to be fresh. You want it to be appealing. Uh, you want to bring new people in. You want to really cultivate all, cultivate a crowd that's not just so niche. Yeah. You want everyone. Yeah. Right? Uh, so you basically want diversification. But I feel that with restaurants specifically, as long as the quality and the service is there. Yeah. People will overlook wherever you're located. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, I feel like it's important for restaurants to really focus on, obviously, the marketing is number one. <laughs> like, you, if you're not, if, you're, if your food, your yeah. food can be amazing, your service can be amazing, but if no one knows about it, no one's showing up. Bro, like, I got to be honest, yeah, we had a horrible we. time. Yeah, <laughs> we. I'm just going to say the place. It was, you know, the restaurant's been here for a long time, Lahore Tikka House, right? Yeah. I don't know them personally. I don't have anything personally against them. But as a customer, their food, by the way, was amazing. Amazing, I felt. Unless I was really hungry, I felt it was pretty good. But the service... I'll give my opinion after. But the service was just like, like, you know, it was pretty bad. Like, they wouldn't let me take my stroller in. They wouldn't let us sit down. And when they did let us sit down, because, you know, they said the full group has to come, we're like, no problem. Six of us were there, and then they're like, no problem, you sit down, two will come later. And then when we ordered, they, they said, well, if the last two people don't come, you guys have to leave or move. And I'm like, and that was the owner. Like, I'm like, how, like, we're, we're a big group of people, we're gonna, and we ended up spending like three $400 that day. Yeah. I mean, it's not about the money, it's just that, like, come on, like, you know, like, have a little bit of, you know, patience with your customers and whatnot. 
yeah, I mean, I would probably still go back because I I, I like the food. It's just the service was, yeah, it, it's oh my god, like twenty years. Even the interior, like they make money. It's not that they don't make. They've been there like twenty, thirty years. I don't even know how long, right? But it's just crazy to me that they wouldn't do that. But I guess the food is so good that people keep coming back. Like like I said, if the food is good, people yeah. look over the location and sometimes the service as <laughs> what, well. What is your opinion? You're saying so. I look at things very different from you know, an average person because, you know, a few of my friends have restaurants yeah. and I know the ins and outs. Yeah. And not only do I know the ins and outs, but I really, I'm a tough critic. Yeah. So when I, when I walked in, obviously, you know, the places yeah. are in the best of conditions, <laughs> yeah. but like I overlooked that because yeah. obviously I understand. I can somewhat empathize and like, okay, you know what? It's been COVID, you know, restaurants weren't making money, especially dine-in, it's yeah. okay. They were but, like that before COVID too, by the way. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so I've, I hadn't actually been there from for the last the last time I went there was probably fifteen to eighteen yeah. years ago. Yeah. So, like, you know, when you're young, you don't really pay attention to a lot of those yeah. things. But as I'm older now, I, I look at these things. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's that. But I'm like, okay, you know what? Food food should be amazing. I've heard great reviews about it. Okay, yeah. everything's all right. So I walk in, and you know, I tell them, okay, it's eight of us. He's like, you know what? We can't seat you. Yeah. Just wait. Now, we showed up early because yeah, we wanted to get our seats, yeah. but quite the opposite happened. I was sitting on this little stool <laughs> in you a corner. You on it. <laughs> <laughs> like you're on timeout, bro. <laughs> they put me on timeout. It's like, you sit in that corner. Yeah. And I'm waiting. And then you showed up. Yeah. The family showed up. Yeah. And then, you know. But as soon as I walked in, the energy was a little off. a little off. And my mother actually noticed that. Yeah. She's like, because I'm normally the one to talk and she talks too. She's, yeah. like, she's like, why aren't you saying something? I'm like, I don't want to yeah. say anything at this moment. I'm like, why don't you go and shop yeah. while everyone else comes? Yeah. And uh, we'll just wait. Diffuse the Diffuse situation. situation. We've got to exactly. eat anyways, you know? Right, exactly. And plus, I don't want to piss people off that are making my food. <laughs> right. You never know what they're going to do with the yeah. food, right? hope not. And then you came with the family and then we were just waiting for two more people. Yeah. We sat down. First, I told you no stroller, which yeah. I found weird too because there's no space. No, no space to put it. You're right. You it's know? like, come on. And then we sit down. We ordered. Yeah. She, the girl repeated her order to us. We're like, okay, great. Fine. Awesome. Everything's ready. We're you good. Know, yeah. Then this lady comes to us. She and she's like, hey, if your full group is not here, we're gonna, uh, you're going to have to get up. You're going to empty the table. I'm like, which, okay. Which we were kind of both taken back by. It's like six of us are here. Two more people are coming. We've already placed our order yeah. why are you telling us this information now after seating us because i feel like it's etiquette and it's customer service yeah and i 100%. feel like beyond the business standpoint like it's almost like look at us as human beings first yeah. not just as a person who's just walked into your restaurant yeah like i would i wouldn't do that i, I don't I would think, never I don't do think that. most people would do that it's bad business why would you that. and shoot yourself in the foot basically and like start off with people like you're already starting off with bad vibes yeah and anyways we both got taken back by that and we're like yeah. what's going on here right we're almost at that i feel I like we're at the brink of we're like you know let's like, just get up and let's just bounce yeah, right yeah but yeah, obviously the whole family our families the were there i was like whatever whatever we'll look past it and i don't blame the waiters per se i think they're just doing what they're trained to do absolutely manage that's a head management the owner they 100 percent have fault for this and they're they're setting a bad precedent because they're the one and she had the nerve the lady that told us to like the owner or manager or whatever she is, I think she was the owner, to like tell us to go. And then she goes and I'm watching her and she goes and tells her wait waiter, like, why did you let them sit down and da 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 like 
instead of like saying, well, uh, good that you could accommodate the clients or customers, right? Yeah, and then so, I also felt, <clears throat> and I also felt this a little later, I feel like our food was delayed. No, our food. To a certain delay. Oh, like, the delay. Yeah, I, I feel like it was because when we had ordered a decent amount of food and yeah, yeah. it's not, it does listen, I had no kitchens, okay? Yeah. I know exactly how many tables there were. They weren't, it's not 200 people in there. Yeah. Okay. So it does not take that long to make kebabs. I feel like though, I think, yeah, maybe so, but there was a table behind us that had like six to eight people. I feel like they got this food the same time and they were there before us. So I don't know if that's just bad management in the kitchen or what. Because Could be both. We're, we're there for iftar, right? So mm -hmm. like they know that they're going to be busy, right? Uh, and for individuals that are wondering what iftar is, basically in the month of Ramadan, we fast. And uh, at sunset is when we all sort of eat. So in this restaurant that is uh, basically a Pakistani restaurant, mm -hmm. it's mostly Muslim individuals coming there to open their iftar at that time. And so the, I think they would know, again, bad management, bad like... like it, it was, it, the food The food made it a little bit better. The food uh, was you, good you, though. I, I give food, it... You, you liked it too. I like it. Yeah. I, I like what the food. I, I, I like the freshness. It? It, was, it felt fresh, but I'm not too... The recipe, like, I don't know, the recipe you know? and the marinations were good. Okay. I give it an eight. Eight, right? I give it an eight. Bro, eight is pretty good nowadays. I feel like eight, eight is, is a eight I, is a decent. I, I would probably have given the food. Okay, I'm not saying the quality of service, but the food, yeah, like at least like an eight to eight point five for me, because I tried desi food other places, and bro, like it just I don't know. They're using like old stuff, or I don't know what's going on. I'm man. just a tough critic because I cook. So I'm like, you know, I'm an easy. Critic, I, I just eat. So if it's, you know, generally good, half good, I'm like... I love desi food. I love all foods of all cuisines. And I feel like since I've tasted some of the stuff we've had, we had yeah. the chicken curry, we have the sea kebabs, you know, we had the beef well, ribs, me hungry the right lamb chops. Into right now, you're fast. I think we're going on this food tangent because, because we're hungry. You know, <laughs> both fasting. I think it's a good good tangent to move on because I'm going to my stomach... But overall, hungry. yes, the food was okay. And, you yeah. know, something to learn for, for, I guess, if they do end up listening, that, you know got to pay attention to your people. Take care yeah, of your people. Yeah, your people will um, take care of you. Don't look at us just as numbers or people just walking yeah. in. We're I mean, human beings. I didn't really even post about it on social media like that. I was like, whatever, you know. But it's just like, anyways, I, hopefully they learn a lesson and go out. Like, I'll still go back. But, like, you know, I'm going to have a cold shoulder with that. <laughs> <laughs> they really gotta. They really gotta bring me some dessert to sweeten this deal up. Yeah, exactly. Next you know, time. Hey, here's some. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't even think of any dessert right now. All right, so let's. You know, starting off with the IDDMCPS, and then we got we yeah. basically cut it off mm -hmm. because we introduced tech tools. Yeah. You know, tech tools that you know really made the process much more efficient. So, tell me about those tech tools. Tell me. I know you wanted to simplify things, which is why you introduced the tech tools. Yeah. But not only the simplification of the process, but how has it helped us overall? So when we talk about that acronym, we're basically talking about a Zedules system and workflow that we had created. It was basically telling us the journey of our customer and the customer's product because we're also custom. Every project is unique. Okay. Now... You may have the same systems and workflows, whether you're in a service-based job or you're selling product that's just you know pre-made. It's going to be unique to your business, but relatively, it's going to follow some flow. And 
starting off early or in early years, like there was no systems in place. It was more like, you know, fulfill order as fast as you can. But you realize quickly that when you're at scale, uh, when you're getting a lot of orders, it's harder to manage and keep track of all the data, the information, the meetings, the, you know, whatever it might be. And so to have a structure of like, as soon as the customer reaches out to you from the point, from that point to the end of their journey, like say for us, like a customer picking up their jewelry piece or us shipping it off to them, you know, what is that journey for that product, right? Or service. And so that's number one step that you need to do. You need to figure out your workflow. Step one, customer reaches out to us via phone call. Step two, we talk to them about their needs. Step three, you know, we give them a quote. Step four, we send them an invoice, whatever. You know, this is not really our process, but like, you know, this is, could be a generic process for most people, right? So once you have that, that workflow put out, then you want to think about, well, am I going to track this workflow by pen and paper, or am I going to digitize everything? And 100%, you need to digitize everything. There is no way that you should be doing this on paper. Anything on paper, and I would say even to a certain degree, if you're stuck on WhatsApp, it's okay in like the first year or second year of doing business. But I, you really need to transition into something that's you know, more wholesome, like more of a complete circle. So what do I mean by that? You need to integrate tools such as a CRM management tool, a customer relationship management tool. We use a tool called Gritlead, okay? And I know you know what it is, but I'm just trying to give as right. much description no, as no, possible. So Gritlead allows us to basically manage every single customer and project within one system and allow all of our employees and staff members to have access to it, at least what we choose them to have access to it. You know, that's compliance if compliance is an issue maybe you don't want all your data to be seen by everyone so i would let you do that as well not only that that not only that it also centralizes our communication with the client within the platform and on top of that it helps us also book in appointments automatically it helps us manage you know any surveys or forms that we're sending out it helps us manage you know, text message, email communication back and forth. And so these are just some of the points that Gritlead helps us with, but there's another 50 to 100 features that I could go into. Now, the most important core function of this is maintaining customer data. So if a customer reaches out to us from like two years from now, they're like, hey, I bought a ring. Uh, can you give me details of whatever X, Y, and Z? What was my ring size? You should have that on file. Now, we're not going to flip through like 50 pages or 100 pages or whatever to look for that client. You just search in your app and you have it there. And the second thing is projecting revenue and how much you're making per week, per month, per quarter, per year. That's quite important. The software also allows it, which I mentioned, which I forgot to mention, allows you to do that as well. And then overall, you can see like, you know, when you have one or two clients, like it's okay, you know, do what you got to do. But I would recommend jumping into a system like Gritlead as soon as possible. What it's going to do for you is going to be like, uh, you know, reduce your workload by probably like one third. And anything you thought you had to remember in your mind on paper, you never have to remember again. And that's quite powerful. And so this workflow allows us to manage each and every client. And we can track, you know, if our team is on point to respond to the clients in a timely fashion that we set out which we couldn't have controlled before. You know, there's 
lots of tools and things that we can go into on what it does. But really, you need to like use that and have a pipeline, which is your workflow that you would create, step one, step two, step three, uh, and then go from there. So for example, a real-life example for us, we have a lot of inquiries on Zedules, right? So answering through DMs and emails is actually not practical, even phone calls. We need a lot of information for the custom piece because it could be like a few hundred dollar piece or it could be tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, their requirement could be from gemstones to natural diamonds to lab diamonds to whatever. There's so many details we need. And that's like a 15 minute, 20 minute conversation. Now, when you're scaling, you're like, OK, 15, 20 minutes, not that bad. But when, you know, your meetings are now hitting an hour, hour and a half and you're like, how do I save that 30 minutes so we can get another customer in? Because remember, we're not retail. We don't just bring you in and be like 15 minutes, buy something, get out. We actually sit there 30, 40, 50 minutes, whatever it takes for us to convey all the education that we have for the client. So what we end up doing is sending a client uh, a link, which is a form or a survey. And in that survey, they fill out like it takes literally like 20, 25 seconds, basic information. And we receive that into Gritly automatically. And it shows up in a queue that says contact. So we know in that section, we need to contact these individuals. By the way, when they filled out that form, they were asked to book in a meeting as well. So now we had the meeting book and a form survey come up in our system saying, hey, this client is looking for this. Their meeting is at so-and-so. Call them at this time or they'll come in person or whatever. Now that's powerful. Not only did we book the meeting, we also got the information. So how much time are we saving there? A lot. And you know, along this process, they're getting a lot of information as well. They're yeah. getting their meeting information. They're getting the address information. They're getting where they need to park because we're located right downtown Toronto. Yeah. Parking is tough. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And then on top of that, they, if they need to cancel for any sort of reason or they need to reschedule, yeah. they're also able to do that. So the tool, this tech tool, Gritly, they really actually eases everything up yeah. it's not just one sector just client side but for us as well on the internal side as yeah. well and overall i believe that you know technology is taking over in business and we need to implement these systems these tech tools to grow and scale and yeah. everyone needs to do it it's not just one business or one sector i believe everyone needs to implement that right. it will make your life easier it'll open up your time and then you can take that time instead of working in your business to work on your business sure. and that will bring growth at another level. Yeah. I mean, this is something, I mean, you use this on a daily basis, like religiously, you know, I feel like without having a system like this, we wouldn't be able to handle the volume or if we needed to do it the old school way, we'd have to like scale in the staffing. I would and need so like 10 assistants. Yeah. Like the labor <laughs> cost would just be immense. And so keeping in mind that what it can do for you and to manage it. Like, you know, we could do a whole segment on this if like people are interested or you guys could always shoot us an email. We're happy to provide this information to you on like the names and e uh, the websites and what we use and how we use it. No problem at all. Like if it helps someone, so, so be it. Now, that's one little part of it. So that's like your management of your data and all your orders. And, and this is very, very important for any lead-based business. Any lead-based business, if you're not using a tool like this, you're, you're literally uh, leaving money on the table, you're losing leads, you're losing sales, and you're stressing yourself out. I can't emphasize that enough. Now, moving on to an, another tool, when, when you're scaling a company, uh, you want to think about delegation at the executive level positions because you need to uh, give, you know, 
work to individuals? How do you track that? And if your team is getting bigger and bigger, you want to make sure that you, you're able to delegate and also track that they're completing it. And also that the staff member knows what they need to do. And so a tool like Asana or ClickUp is like a task management tool that you can use and integrate into your system. Asana is something we use. It's free up to 15 users. Amazing tool to track uh, allows tasks. Uh, yeah, exactly. It allows you to track tasks, allows you to delegate and associate them to the individuals that you need to associate them to yeah. with a timeline, um, whether it's due tomorrow, today. And you can basically have an internal chat in it as well, which is what I really like. Yeah. You can kind of leave notes under each task. You can create subtasks. And it makes everything like almost like a checklist. Yeah. It's like at the end of the day, you need to go through your sauna checklist. Yeah. You've done your tasks. You've done your job. Great. Yeah. And then if you need to associate your next day's task or for any other employees or team members, you can do that. And it makes it so much easier. You don't have to remember anything. Yeah. Just make a task, associate it, and you really don't have to worry about it. And you can check up on it whenever you like mm -hmm. to make sure it's done with rather than me chasing you down or you chasing anyone else Did you else do down. it? Did you not do it? Oh, I didn't get the message. Oh, I forgot. Or, or whatever, right? Yeah, I wasn't listening to you. I was doing something else. I was multitasking, yeah. blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. Like, yeah it, it takes happens. away all of yeah. that. Some, some stuff I, like been there, done like that. that yeah. So we don't want to deal with it. Yeah. And we don't want people to deal with it, actually. It's yeah. not just maybe, about maybe, us. Maybe, yeah, we're at fault. And we're like, we thought we said something we didn't because our day-to-day -day is crazy, right? And so that prevents that. The tech is there for you. So there's no, like, you know, did you complete or did you not? Did you see or not? Like, I mean, it's a policy. You have to look at the app, right? And based off of technology, you know, soon these apps will be integrated into a virtual assistant that yeah. will be with you all times. 100%. And you'll think about something and a task will be created and uh, it'll be completed. Yeah. No, 100%. I think it's it's going that route. So you, you can kind of see a trend in this, you know, like the grid lead, a CRM management tool, basically managing all the data so we don't have to remember and automating a lot of the processes. Then you see Asana also managing all the tasks, which is some form of data that we don't have to remember. You want to remove everything that you have to remember or write down into a system that you can easily share within your company and with your clients. So that's uh, the biggest tool that you're going to use to scale your company. And you're going to have, you know, uh, compliance things. So individual leaves your company, you can easily just sort of remove them from that situation. And they would lose access to whatever projects and software they're using. And so that makes it quite easy. And then the last tool that I think is crucial, uh, in my opinion, is something like a tool like Slack or T Microsoft Teams, similar. We use Slack for internal communication. It's just so much better for documents and, and just keeping track of projects. Whereas WhatsApp, it's for personal use. You know, it's great for personal use. Use it there. But for... Uh, uh, for a team of like, let's say even more than two people or more, Slack is definitely a tool that you should use, you know? I definitely feel like Slack is this virtual workplace. So if anything, it's like work-related with your business-related. Yeah. Like, yeah, we text, we call, but just drop it in Slack to each other. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm going to check Slack for this. Yeah. And it's there. And it also allows that for that like that workplace environment versus WhatsApp being your personal mm -hmm. whatever. So when you're out of work, you don't really need to look at Slack. You can kind of just, you know, whatever. You don't get distracted with your WhatsApp messages. There's like hundreds of them. It's like, oh, that too. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm opening up WhatsApp to send this message out. But then, yeah. like, oh, this person, like, it's like phones going off nonstop. So puts you in the mode. Right? Puts you in the mode. And like, like yeah. you just said, it's, it's a nice workplace. And I like, I like the separation. 
that it creates. It's really helpful. It's very simple to use. And I think it's an amazing tech tool. Yeah. So, I mean, these are some of the tools. And then we're working with, like, I'm working on some AI chatbots and things of that nature. We'll get into a, another conversation on that. But I think even deep diving into certain, certain tools like this uh, and helping individuals integrate it, I think it would be a great thing to happen to them and their companies. And so that's something we can discuss if people are interested. Yeah, but if you should leave us a comment below of what tech tools you use or if you have any questions, and we can always address them in the next podcast. Yeah, sounds good. So I think that was a pretty good lengthy conversation and we got some good information out. On that note, thank you guys for joining and we'll catch you guys next time. It's been a pleasure. Peace out.